Ephesians 4:11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitfulness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I am all the more amazed by you now than I was 30 minutes ago when I stood up there and said that. It's been so satisfying to our souls, Lord, to be in your presence and to sing your praises. Father, the 24 elders and the living creatures and all of the angels of heaven are ever singing your praises. And for this brief time, you have allowed us to enter into their eternal worship of you. And we have worshiped you too with all of our hearts. But we have offered worship to you in a way, Lord, that the angels can't because we were sinners and yet Christ came and died for us. And he redeemed us from our sin and he brought us into a relationship with God the Father And he has caused us to be built into a body and a temple and a bride to live forever with God the Father. And so we have a perspective on your grace and your greatness, Lord, that no one else in the universe does. And so we praise you with deep and and authentic amazement. As I said earlier, Father, there are parts of us that are not amazed with you. Parts of us that are still captured by the things of the flesh and of the world. And I simply pray today again that by the power of Christ, you would cover that and forgive that and transform that and capture us this morning. Father, you've done that in song and now I pray that you would do it by your word. Use your word and use your servants here to speak your word in such a way that your people are captured by your glory and your graciousness and your greatness. I love you so much, Jesus. And I entrust myself into your hands now, and it's in your great name that I pray. Amen. Glory of Christ Fellowship exists to make disciples for the glory of Christ. That's what this church is doing here. That's why God brought us into being. We get that sense of our mission, not from our own selves or from a a kind of vision meeting kind of a thing, but we get our sense of vision from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I put the text up here on the screen for you, but I'm going to embellish a little bit, hopefully in a way that's genuine to Jesus' words. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So there's literally no power in heaven, no power anywhere in the universe, no power on the face of this earth, no power under the earth, No power anywhere that there is power, that that power doesn't belong to Jesus Christ. All power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so on the basis of what I have, and on the basis of who I am, I call you my disciples 
to go to every nation on the face of this planet and preach to them the good news of who I am and what I have done to save sinners and to reconcile them to God. Go and make disciples of all nations. When you do that, not everybody's going to listen to you. Some people will reject you. Some people will persecute you. Some people will throw you in jail. Some people will beat you. Some will even kill you. But be faithful all the way to the end of the age and I will be your life. I will be your crown. I will be your glory. You go preach the gospel to all nations and I'll take care of the rest. For those who believe, I want you to baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one name. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize them, immerse them in the water, and as you put them under the water, it will be a symbol that through belief in Jesus, they have died with me. They have died to their sins. They have been freed from the consequences of the things that they have done, and they are free and clean before God the Father. And then I want you to pull them up out of the water and it will be a sign that through belief in me, they have been raised up with me. They have come to share in my resurrection and one day they will rise in truth and they will go to be with God the Father forever and ever and ever. So for those who believe, baptize them into the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you have done that, then my disciples... I want you to teach these people to observe everything that I've commanded you to do. Teach them to think the way that I think and as I have taught you to think. Teach them to feel the things that I feel and as I have taught you to feel. Teach them to act in ways that I have taught you to act and and, and that I want them to act and as I would act. Teach them to be as I am. Go, my church, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you. And if that feels overwhelming to you, if you feel like it's beyond something that you can do, then be at peace because it is beyond something you can do. But I, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have good news for you. I will be with you all the way. I will be with you every moment of every day, every city and every nation into which you enter. I will be with you. I will wake with you in the morning and I will walk with you and talk with you and eat with you and drink with you. I will suffer with you and triumph with you. I will win people with you. I will be persecuted with you. I will make disciples with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All authority has been given to me and I am with you so you can do as I have commanded. Go into this world and make disciples for the glory of my name. That, beloved, we believe as elders of this church is the call of Jesus Christ upon his church in all places at all times And we believe that it is incumbent upon us to embrace that as our mission. Jesus Christ said, this is what the church is about. And we just don't feel like we have the right or the power to change his mind. Amen? It's his church. It's his mission. It's his purposes. And he said, go and make disciples. So that's our mission. Go make disciples for the glory of Christ. That's what we're all about. The elders felt that as we begin this morning our sixth year of public ministry here in Elk River, that it would be good for us to devote three Sundays 
to the subject of discipleship, of what it means to be disciples and how disciples are made and how we plan to carry out this mission in the coming year or so. And so this morning, my job is to talk a little bit about the nature and the process of discipleship. And then, Lord willing, next week, Jason Ruzek will be bringing a message on how God uses broken people like us to transform broken people into his image. We'll be going to 2 Peter chapter 1 for that. And then the final week, I'll come back in two weeks from now, Lord willing, and I'll bring a message just trying to paint a picture for us of what life could look like here at Glory of Christ as we, from our hearts, engage in this mission that I'm going to lay out before us today. And then just for your information, the Sunday after that, which is September 30th, we plan to begin our journey through the book of Hebrews. So, so three weeks on discipleship and then the book of Hebrews on September 30th, if the Lord is willing. So with that, let me begin today by addressing a very basic question. Namely, I want to ask and answer the question, what is a disciple? So I know that many of you could come up here right now and step up to the mic and give really good answers to that question. You people are not starting at zero, most of you. You're very mature in Christ. A lot of you are. You've been walking with Christ a long time, and I know that that's a very basic question, and you know the answer to it. But I am here this morning to stir us up by way of reminder. I think that a lot of life in Christ is remembering what we know and living by what we know, right? One of my mentors likes to say that a lot of us are educated beyond our level of obedience, and I think he's right about that. We know a lot, but we, we need to submit more. So as Peter said to his readers, I'm saying to you, church, I'm not here to speak down to you. I'm just here to stir us all up, including my own heart, to stir us up by way of reminder to see what Jesus is up to and to participate with him in his great work of making disciples. So with that, what's, what is a disciple? On the one hand, the word disciple is a very simple word. The original Greek word is mathetes in Greek, or a disciple in English, it just means an apprentice or a student or a follower. It's a very basic word. But the way it gets used in the New Testament, it takes on a much more profound meaning than just being a, a student of Jesus Christ. It turns out that when a person makes a decision to be a disciple or a follower of Christ, that that person didn't actually make the decision, but God chose them from before the foundation of the world to follow Christ and to be transformed into the image of Christ. So a disciple of Jesus is no mere student. They are a person who has been predestined by Christ to be conformed to the being of Christ. Pretty profound stuff, actually. And so... Drawing from Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to look there, I'm just going to kind of buzz through some of this. I'm not going to read a lot. I'm just going to draw on Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and, and sort of paint a picture for us of what a disciple is. Try to help us see as God sees and not just as we see. A disciple is one who has been chosen by God in Christ from before the foundation of the world so that they might become holy and blameless before God the Father. We did not choose him, he chose us. And we are not doing this work in ourselves, he is doing this work in us. A disciple is one who has been predestined by God in Christ to be a child of God so that the follower of Jesus actually becomes a son or a daughter of God forever and ever and will be in his family forever and ever. That's a little more than just a mere follower. 
This is a a deep, heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul, life-to-life relationship bought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who has been redeemed and set free from their sins and the consequences of their sins and the shame of their sins by the precious and powerful blood of Jesus Christ that has wiped it all away, a blood that God has richly lavished upon us in Christ. I love that word lavished. It's like we're standing there and the Father just takes this massive bucket of the blood of Christ and just pours it all over us. Pours and pours and pours it. And in the process transforms us into His image. That's a disciple. A disciple is one whose eyes have been opened to the mysteries of God in Christ so that he or she can see something of the beauty and the glory of what God has done for us and for the glory of His name. A disciple is one who has obtained an inheritance in Christ and who has been given a seal of that inheritance, the promised Holy Spirit, who literally comes and lives in us, dwells in us. And the Bible says that it's a sort of down payment for what God has planned for us to give to us in eternity. He's given us a taste now of what will be an absolute feast later, namely relationship, intimacy, communion with the Holy Spirit of God. That's a disciple. A disciple is one who used to be dead in his or her trespasses and sins and trapped in the things of the world and trapped by the designs of Satan. But now by the love of God and the mercy that's gushing out of His heart. We have been made alive with Christ and raised up with Christ and actually seated with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages all creation might be in awe and amazement at the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's a disciple. A disciple is one who has been saved by faith, by grace, through faith, by the mercy of God and simple belief in God. We have not done this for ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not something that we have worked for. It's not something that we have done so as to commend ourselves before God and say, Father, now am I good enough for you? It isn't like that. God has granted us holiness. He's granted us salvation. He's granted us life in Christ by grace through faith. That's a disciple. A disciple is one who does good things for God and even great things for God. Things that have been prepared by God from before the foundation of the world. Look, Ephesians 2.10. You'll see it there. All the stuff you quote-unquote do for God, you're not doing it for God. God is doing it in you for the glory of His name and the joy of your soul and the upbuilding of the church. That's a disciple. One who has been destined to be plucked out of the world and become useful in the kingdom of God. Something that God does in us, not that we do for Him. A disciple is one who used to be alienated by God and separated from Christ, separated from all hope. But now, in Jesus Christ, we actually have peace with God and we have access to God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and we're being knitted together by God into a temple with all other believers for the glory of His name and the joy of our souls. That's a disciple. A disciple you'll see at the end of chapter 3 in Paul's prayer is one who is being strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in his or her inner being so that Christ may actually dwell inside of our hearts and commune with us in our lives and in this way root us and ground us and make us stable people in him, giving us eyes to see the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of all that God is in Christ for us for the glory of His name. A disciple is one who is gaining bigger and bigger and bigger eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and to praise Him and prize Him forever and ever. A disciple is one who is being filled with all the fullness of God. When I prayed earlier in the service that God would set a tone for the life of this church for this year and just amaze us, like take our breath away, beloved, I, I really mean that It's not just coming from my heart. Read Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3. That's what he's praying. That we would be filled with the greatness of God and absolutely taken in awe and wonder by Him. I just, I grieve. Jason and I talked the other day about how sometimes we're so easily amazed by the things of this world and the things that used to capture our hearts. But how I pray that God would help me die to that so that I am truly amazed by things that are truly amazing filled with all the fullness of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. Beloved, on the one hand, this word disciple is very simple. It just means a student, an apprentice, a follower. But on the other hand, and it's the much more important hand, to be a disciple is something very profound. A disciple is one who has been destined by Christ to be transformed into the very image of Christ for the glory of Christ. So yes, we learn things from Jesus and we mimic Jesus in some ways in his behavior. But much more profoundly, we're actually changed from who we are into who he is. So discipleship is not about external conformity, it's about transformation. It's about a a metamorphosis. When the Bible uses this word transformation, for instance in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Greek word there is metamorphose. It, it's the same word that we use, metamorphosis, actually changed from one thing into another. So the profound news about what it means to be a disciple is that we are literally changed by the glory of Christ into the image of the glory of Christ. Really a very, very, very breathtaking thing. Now, when we come down out of the clouds of Ephesians 1 through 3 and we think about our daily lives, and we think about what it looks like, what it means to be transformed into his image, there's a sense in which that's kind of confusing and mysterious to us. We don't really know what it means. And in a way, it should be mysterious to us. It's kind of a a big deal to be transformed into the image of Jesus, isn't it? It's not a small thing. It's not a normal thing. It's not a, a human thing, a fleshly thing. It's not something that we can do. It's something that only God can do. And it is mysterious, that we could be partakers in the divine nature is not something that's easy to understand or to explain. But there are some ways that we can grasp what God is getting at. So let me just try just for a minute to explain what it means to be transformed into God's image as a disciple, into the image of Jesus Christ. 
Very simply, it means that our character transforms so that, it's, that it, it matches his character. For instance, Jesus is love. Jesus is loving. And so when we spend time with him and we're discipled by him, we learn of him and we follow him, we mimic him. We spend time with him. We become as he is. He is loving, we become loving. Or Jesus, the Bible says, is patient immensely patient. And as we hang out with Jesus and spend time with him, we become like he is. We're transformed into his image. We share in his mind. We share in his heart. We share in his actions. We become patient as he is patient. Jesus is wise and he's good and he's holy and he's courageous and he's humble and he's so many other things. And as we spend time with Him and, and, and soak our minds in His Word and fill our hearts with His Spirit, we become like Him. We're shaped into His image. He is wise, we become wise. He is gentle, we become gentle. He is self-controlled, we become self-controlled. This doesn't happen overnight, but it happens. This is the process that we call sanctification. We transform into His image. We become like the Christ who saved us. And the thing is that we don't do this just by conforming our behavior to an external set of rules and regulations like, like you probably heard the old saying, don't drink or cuss or smoke or chew or run around with those who do. We don't set up laws for ourselves and then just try to observe rules and say, look, we're becoming like Jesus. It's something much more profound to that than that. The Lord somehow finds a way to get to our hearts and change us from the inside out. Kim and I just sent our only daughter off to college, so we, after 18 years of having her in our home, she's, she's gone now. We've flung her into the world, shot her like an arrow into the world for the glory of God. Many times we've had to discipline her over the last 18 years, and I can't count the times that I have said to Kimmy that it, it would be so easy right now, Kim, to just come down on Rachel and insist that she do things this way and that way, but somehow I don't want to do that. Somehow I want to get to her heart so that she'll want to do the right things. And I may not have always succeeded, but that's always been my intention. And I learned that from our Father. That's what He's about. He wants to get to our hearts and to make us be like Him from the inside out. Legalism tries to, to force conformity upon people and God is not in that. God starts from the heart, changes the heart, and then changes the behavior, changes the thoughts, changes the feelings, changes the will, changes the behavior. And so this is in part what it means to be transformed into the image of Christ, and that's the destiny of every disciple, to become like the Jesus that you're following. You're not just following him in admiration, beloved. You're following him as people who will become like him. Now, as we meditate on these things in the light of the Word of God over time, I think we're going to come to see more and more as a people that this process of transformation is not an individualistic thing, but it's a communal thing. So let me just put it this way. A life in Christ is not merely about me and Jesus. It's mostly about us and Jesus. The life in Christ is not just an individualistic thing. It's a communal thing. So, of course, every person who comes to believe in Christ, they have an individual relationship with Him, and they have an individual standing with Him. Of course, that's true. 
But our relationship with Christ only comes into its fullness in the context of the body of Christ. He has brought us to Himself and He is molding us into a body and into a temple and into a bride for Himself. Life in Christ is about us in Christ, not just about me in Christ. And if I'm to be transformed into His image, I'm going to have to wake up to this, that it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about us and Jesus. He uses the body to transform the body into His image. It's a beautiful thing. Please turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This teaching is all over the New Testament, and the more I grow, the more I see it everywhere. In the whole Bible, in fact, but but mostly in the New Testament. So I just want to point out to you the us and Jesus nature of salvation in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14. Blessed or praised or prized or worshipped be the God and Father of, of whom our... Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, plural, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should all be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons, plural, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, in Jesus, we together have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, not just mine, our, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we all have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we all who were the first to hope in Christ Actually, here Paul's talking about the apostles and those who first believed might be to the praise of His glory. And now in Him, you all, that's a plural you, you all also, when you all heard the word of truth, the gospel of your plural salvation and believed in Him, you all were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through the praise of His glory. I'm going to stop there for the moment, but I'm going to tell you, if you keep reading Ephesians and noticing that, you will see the body nature of life in Christ all over the place. And in fact, all over the New Testament. I'm telling you, in the mind of God, life in Christ is about us and Jesus, not just me and Jesus. He saved us to form us into a people that together we might be uh, transformed into the image of the Christ who saved us. It's about us. Now turn with me to chapter 4. We're going to see this become real explicit for our lives together. I want to start in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, plural, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you, plural, have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Those are body kinds of words. 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So care about the body, not just yourself. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you, plural, were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then grace was given to each one of us individually according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he, Christ, ascended on high, went into heaven, he led a host of captives, which is us, who have believed in him, and he gave gifts to men. And then in verses 9 and 10, Paul just interprets what he means by quoting Psalm 68, 18. And then if you look in verse 11, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, for what? For what purpose? For themselves? No, not for themselves. To equip the saints, plural, for the work of the ministry. And why? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we all may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we all are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole entire body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, I wanted to read all that and let you see it in the Scripture because I'm trying to make a point that I think is very profound and that will greatly impact the way that we do life together this year and in the coming years. Namely, that we have to come to understand that in the mind of Christ, discipleship is about us and not just me and Jesus. And so, disciples are people who have been destined by Christ to be transformed into the image of Christ together for the glory of his name. Life in him is together life. We have to learn to do this thing together. So with that, I want to address just one more question today. Namely, if that's what it means to be disciples, how are we to go about doing that? If Jesus commanded us to make people that are like the ones I've been describing right now, how are we going to practically go about carrying out Christ's command? Well, there are aspects of this that are very mysterious, but as elders, we have a a four-part answer, and I'll summarize it in just four words, and then I'll come back and say a few things about those now, and then in two weeks, I'll say a lot more about this. Right now, I say disciples are made by four things. Preaching, teaching, counseling, and equipping. Preaching, teaching, counseling, and equipping. Let me just say a few words about each of those. First of all, the church of Christ is called to make disciples by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those who have either never heard the good news of Jesus or those who have never received the good news of Jesus. So we are called to go into the world and and preach the good news that Christ has come for the salvation of the nations. The word preaching means more than that, but in this context, that's what I mean proclaiming the good news of Christ to unbelievers or what I have come to call underbelievers. A lot of these in Minnesota. These are people who know something about Jesus, but they actually don't know Jesus. They've heard of him. They may have read parts of the Bible. They've heard Bible stories. 
They know this and that, but they actually don't know Jesus. Well, we as a church are called to join Jesus in his quest to seek and save people like that. It's a good thing for this church to attract people who are already believers and who are hungry for the word of God and long to grow up into the image of God. That's a good thing. And we should continue to do that as God calls us to do it. But we need to grow this year, and we've already begun. I'm really glad to see the things that God is doing in this church. But we need to fan into flame this year this passion to go to the city with the gospel of Christ and preach it to those who've never heard it or those who've never believed. And I promise you, you may not think this, but I promise you there are people in this city who've never heard the gospel of Christ. They need to hear it. Some people have been destined by God to come to Christ at this church and grow up in Christ at this church. Let's go after him this year. Let's make disciples by preaching the gospel. I'll say more about that in a couple weeks. Second, as people come to know Christ at this church, or as believers come to grow in Christ at this church, we must teach them everything that Jesus taught us. So teaching is the second thing. We must declare to people the whole counsel of God. One of the effects of sin and and Satan in the world is that we all have come to believe lies and and to live on the basis of those lies. If you'll think about what happened in the first sin in the garden, that's essentially what went on. The devil persuaded Eve and then Adam to believe a lie, and they acted on the basis of those lies rather than on the truth of God. All of us, even believers, are still believing false things and living on the basis of false things. And so part of growing into the image of Jesus is having a mind that's renewed by the, by the, the word of Jesus so that we will think the thoughts of Jesus. The mind is kind of like the captain of the ship of our lives. And if the captain is to lead this ship in the right way, namely toward Christ, then it has to get the proper instructions from the commander, namely Christ. Our minds must be renewed if we're to grow into the image of him who has saved us. So Christ wants us to know the truth about a lot of things. He wants us to know the truth about theological matters like God and creation, humanity, morality, sin, redemption, the church, heaven and hell, and the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. We need to know truths about these things, beloved. We can't be lazy. We've got to go after these things and care about them and learn about them. Renew our minds. This stuff is in the Bible and we need to learn it. The Lord wants us to know the truth about practical things like romance and marriage and sexuality and raising children and work and play and money and philanthropy and friendship and time management and planning and so many other things. He has a lot of practical instruction for life to give us. Right now I'm in my quiet times, I'm in the Proverbs. It just amazes me how just practical so much of this stuff is and God wants us to know those things and the truth about how he thinks about those things. The Lord Jesus wants us to know the truth about matters of the heart like happiness and humility and pride and depression and stress and hope and love and a proper sense of ourselves. He wants us to know the truth about spiritual disciplines like Bible study and worship in prayer and fasting and meditation and silence and rest and evangelism and so many other things. The point is, beloved, that if we're to become like Jesus, our minds must be renewed. You know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some of you know it by heart. 
be, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphose, change from one thing into another. How? By the renewing of your mind. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that your minds may be renewed, and you may think like Christ. This is an integral part of what it means to be transformed into his image, and one of the main reasons why we make such a big deal about the place of the word in the life of the church. We must have the wisdom of God in order to be transformed into the image of God. And the Lord uses teachers to make that happen. So, preaching the gospel, teaching the truths of the gospel, and then number three, in order to make disciples for the glory of Christ, we must learn to speak biblical counsel into one another's lives. Or if you look there at Ephesians 4.15, you'll see that Paul says we must learn to speak the truth in love to one another. We have to learn to apply this truth that we've learned from Christ wisely to one another's lives. So Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be saturated in your mind and your heart with the word of God. And then teach and admonish one another. Speak into each other's lives. And then sing psalms and sing hymns and sing spiritual songs. I think that Paul has a vision of a church where the people are being renewed day by day by the word of Christ and transformed into the image of Christ. And as this happens, they gain the wisdom to speak that word into each other's lives. And brothers and sisters, I need you to speak the wisdom of God into my life. I need you. I cannot become the man God has called me to be without you. And you cannot become the man or the woman that God has called you to be without me. God has designed it so that he speaks his word into our lives through one another. This is what we call counseling, biblical counseling. So when I'm saying that being transformed into the image of Jesus requires counseling, I'm not talking about Dr. Phil with Bible verses. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about understanding the wisdom of God for everything and then speaking that wisdom in love to one another so that we're transformed by it. I'm going to say more about this in a couple weeks, but right now I just want to say there is nothing that any of us are facing in our lives that cannot be addressed and touched and healed and transformed by the power of Christ right here in this church. There's nothing Nothing in your marriage, nothing in your relationships, nothing in your habits, nothing in your finances, nothing in your health, nothing in your life that cannot be addressed here. Why? Because, not because of us, but because of who is with us. We have the presence of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the community of God, the power of God, the graciousness of God, the willingness of God. What else do we need? We have God! And if he is with us, what can stand against us? So all we need to add to that is this. Skill in speaking the word of God with wisdom into one another's lives. That's all we need. And we have a plan as elders to help this church grow in that skill. I'll tell you more about that in a couple of weeks, but I'm very excited about it. For today, I just want us to see the image, the, the vision that our passion as elders is for us together to grow up into the image of Jesus Christ through preaching and through teaching and through counseling and then number four, through equipping.
I get that word equipping from Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 12, if you will look there. He says there that the reason Jesus gives certain people authority in the church is to equip them for the work of the ministry. And as I think and pray about that in light of the Scripture, I just see it this way. I think that when people come to Christ, God gives them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit grants spiritual gifts to every man, woman, and child who truly believes in Jesus Christ. There's not one of you who believes in Christ who has not been given spiritual gifts. Every believer has spiritual gifts, man, woman, and child. Those gifts may be related somehow to natural talents you have and abilities you have, but they're much more than that. Spiritual gifts are God-given, God-born, God-empowered abilities that when used, glorify God and edify the church. That's how you know when you're using something that's a spiritual gift. It doesn't just make people feel good. It actually glorifies God and edifies the church. And so, God gives some people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to the church, and their job is not to make a big deal of their own authority. Their job is to inflame the gifts of other people in the church. I see myself as a billow in the hand of Jesus. That's all I am. I told somebody this week in a discipleship time we were having that I feel... Like every time I'm preaching to you, all I'm doing is blowing upon the fire of the gifts that Jesus has granted to you. I'm fanning into flame the gifts of God in Christ Jesus that He has given to you. The gifts are like wood on the fire. And the fire is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And then the Holy Spirit grants people like me and the other elders and teachers in this church to the church so that we fan those gifts into flame. And then as you actually develop and utilize your gifts, God is glorified and the church is built up. And how I pray that God would cause all of us to surrender to his design in these things. Beloved, the reason that we have all that information over on those tables this week and the reason the leaders of ministries will be over there to talk to you is not just to prop up the programs of this church. We're not here to build our own kingdom. We are trying to participate with Jesus in being transformed into the image of Jesus. And that happens as each believer rises up and uses their gifts for the glory of God and the common good. So join us in that. Preaching teaching, biblical counseling, and equipping. That's how disciples are made. Look with me at the end of that part of Ephesians 4, at least in verses 15 and 16. I really want to encourage you to spend some time meditating on this. These are the kind of sentences that you can read quickly and not really understand, but you've got to stop and ponder this. This is an amazing vision that Jesus has. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up in love. Somehow, some way, Jesus uses broken people like us to transform broken people into his image. And we'll talk more about that next week. For now, I just want to close by saying once more, 
that disciples are those who have been destined by Christ to be transformed into the very image of Christ together for the glory of Christ. That happens through a somewhat mysterious process of preaching, teaching, counseling, and equipping. So discipleship is not a program. It's not a series of classes that you can take and now say, boom, now I'm a disciple. It's not a series of books that you can buy and then read. It's not a series of MP3s or CDs or whatever your thing is these days. Those things are tools and that can be helpful, but discipleship is much more than that. It's relational, beloved. Discipleship happens as the presence of Christ pours through the people of Christ to shape the people of Christ into his image. That's what discipleship is. It's something that Christ does in us and through us for the glory of his name and the joy of our souls. And that's why this church is here. That's what this church is about. For all of our flaws and all of our imperfections and all of that, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to cooperate with Jesus in his vision to make disciples of us. And I invite you to come and wholeheartedly participate in that with us and more so with Jesus. Let's pray to that end now. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us. I thank you for your vision for the church. And I pray that you would add power now to this vision and to this word that we might all surrender to you and live the lives that you have called us to live for the glory of your name and the common good And I just want to give you my thanks and praise, Lord, because as I look out in this year, I know that you mean to do great things for your name and for the common good. And so by faith, I give you my thanks in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.